Uh, my name, uh, for some of you who do not know me, my name is Mike McAuliffe. Uh, we are members here. My family and I are members here at this church uh, and excited to be here. Uh, it was somewhat funny. Last week, I, I heard Patrick uh, joke about the fact that this was like last week was National Youth Pastor Preaching Week. Well, let me introduce you to National Parachurch Youth Pastor Preaching Week. Uh, I'm pretty sure uh, there's probably about three or four churches. So for the people who come during Christmas time, uh, somewhere in North Georgia, they assume that I'm the pastor because uh, this is like the normal time where like, yeah, I get a chance to preach and it's, it's fun. But I am glad to be here with my church family uh, this, this Sunday. And this morning, we're going to continue to look at our series uh, in Genesis. Uh, specifically, we're going to look at the end of Genesis 11, uh, into Genesis 12 and the, the call of Abram. And at this point, he is called Abram. Uh, later on, he will be called Abraham. Just letting you know now, I will switch them. I just, I won't keep up with it, but it, it means the same thing. So Abram is father. Abraham is father of many. So daddy, big daddy, okay? So that's, that's basically all you need to know, but I'm gonna switch it back and forth. It re- don't let that throw you, Okay. Um, and as you read through this scripture, it is difficult to overstate Abraham's, see, so already did it, Abraham's importance in the story of, of the biblical story and Christian theology as a whole, okay? The first verse of the New Testament identifies Jesus as the son of Abraham. Like, you know, Paul, as he talks to the Gentiles over and over again, says, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Three major world religions, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, all are, see themselves as, as children of Abraham, as lineage come from Abraham. Abraham is at the center of Scripture's teaching on God's faithfulness to his covenant promises, the identity of God's people in obedience that pleases God. And so my question is, where did Abraham's, Abram's greatness come from? What made Abram great was the call of God. And that is the big idea this morning, simply this. The call of God is what gives your life purpose. The call of God is what makes you a Christian in the first place. And the call of God is what carries you through and carries your story as you grow. And what the text tells us this morning is three things about the calls of God, the God's call. First of all, it's power, how it shapes us, and how we answer that call. So let me say it again. First, it's power, God's power, how it shapes us, and how we answer that call. And so as we open up God's word, let me, let me pray for us, okay? Father, as we look into your word, Make it so clear and evident that the only thing that changes us is the call that you have on our lives, Father. That we are no different from Abram, Father, but at the same time that we are just in in need to hear and respond to that call, Father. So be with us this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. So starting Genesis 11, uh, verse 20, it says that, 27, I'm sorry, it says this. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. 
The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Aram, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his, son's, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. First, let's look at the power of God's call. I'll be honest, once I knew um, that I was, I was preaching on, the, on this scripture, uh, if, if you've done this before, if you ever, if any time you ever speak or you have to do anything in front of uh, the church, uh, the, the, what you pray for, this sounds bad, but what you pray for is that you don't just have lineage, right? Like you just have like names that you can't pronounce, like just up here stumbling through names. And guess what I had to start off with? So it was our facts said, begat somebody, begat somebody. So over and over again, it was just this lineage of, of people and we get to Abram and Terah. And so automatically you're just like, okay, we passed through that and what can I preach on? But as I read this, I began to, as I began to study the entirety of this passage, it became evident that the lineage that we see here, specifically uh, starting in verse 27, is telling us something incredible. These verses, what we just read, are telling us that all of human history has come to a dead end, okay? So if, if you've been here for any time for this whole series in Genesis, you will know that chapters one through 11 that Ryan's preached on, that, that I know Brandon's preached on, that Patrick has preached on, one, versus chapters one through 11 has just been a humankind spiraling out of control. It's getting worse and worse, like we're becoming more and more corrupt, more and more evil, more and more violent. It, it looks bad, okay? So that's chapters one through 11. For my Marvel fans, this is after the snap Infinity War, okay? It, it's, it's bad, all right? But in the midst of all the chaos, as humanity spiraled out of control, no matter how bad it got, we were able to cling to the fact that the family of Seth, so Brian's talked about it, the seed of Seth was still faithfully worshiping God. We see in Genesis 4 that Seth called upon the name of the Lord, which is a Hebrewism for worship of God. In Seth's seed alone, so everything is just going crazy, but in Seth's seed alone, we see preserve the knowledge of the true God, and that knowledge had been passed on from generation to generation. So Seth, like Noah, is a descendant of Seth, okay? So there's that lineage. It continues to go, the seed of Seth. But... When we get to the count of Terah in Genesis 11, Abram, Abraham's father and a descendant of Noah from the seed of Seth, we learn something disastrous. Let me show you. So it's important to take note that to this reference of Ur of the Chaldeans and the fact that Abram 
and his family come from and are rooted in the city of Ur of the Chaldeans. And Ur was a major city in the ancient world, and at the center of the city was something called a Zagarot. And what a Zagarot was, it was like a pyramid, but not like an Egyptian pyramid when you're used to like the flat sides. This side, these, this Zagarot had stairs that went all the way up. And what it was used for is a place of worship for their idol gods. And primarily, the, the god that was in, in Ur, uh, it was dedicated to the pagan lunar god named Nana. All my southern grandmothers were like, I got to rethink my name. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Do you know what Terra means in Hebrew? Moon. The people of Ur worship the lunar god named Nana. Do you see it? The last seed who was preserving the knowledge of God, had, God has gone over to idol worship. And this is actually confirmed. If you look in Joshua chapter 24, this is confirmed. It says, and Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and, and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Disastrous. The last seed, the last glimmer of hope spiritually is gone. The last family who knew God has fallen to idol worship. And this is not just spiritually. Remember, it already told us, what did it say about, about Sarah? She's barren. So not only is it over spiritually, it's now over physically. Like there is nothing, like it is over. And then God speaks. And then God speaks. This is the power of God's call. And God's call is fully necessary and it is fully gracious. Let me show you. God's call is fully necessary. See, one of the pitfalls um, of preaching on Abraham is that we know a lot of Abraham's story. So if you spent any time in church whatsoever, you know Abraham's story. And so what we do, we read into the text um, what we already know about these biblical figures. And the more famous and faithful we know them to be, the more assumptions that we make about who they were. And let's be honest, as soon as you heard Abram's name, what did y'all do? Father Abraham had many sons and many sons. See, we already have these preconceived ideas of who Abram was, but it is imperative that we don't have any assumptions that we, when reading this passage, that we rid ourselves of anything that we might know of this man. Because at this point, this is where we're at, okay? We're not to where he's the father of nations, the father and all this stuff. We're at this moment where he was a pagan worshiper. But then God speaks. And it's hard to think this way because when we read genealogy, and this is another thing that happens a lot of times, when you read genealogy, especially when you read like the story that you, you it's, it goes from this guy to the, it just, it's like rapid fire, person to person to person to person. And you forget that in a half a page, you go from a half a page, you go from Noah to the guy on the ark to Abraham, the father, like the patriarch. And we forget that there's a huge gap. There's 400 years from the death of Noah, approximately 400 years from the death of Noah to the point where Abraham is called. And so it's hard for us to think and when it's in that short of a paragraph, but we realize we can understand why Abraham is, is, is away from God because it's not just two minutes later, it's 400 years. And so instead, I think we need to be seeing Father Abraham was a pagan and a pagan was, uh, never mind, okay. Uh, 
But listen, Abraham was in the best family. But if it wasn't for the call of God, he was spiritually dead. I am the father, uh, my wife and I, we have two children, two incredible little girls. Uh, Our oldest daughter, Ella, she is uh, 11 years old. She's a free-thinking creative who is constantly dreaming um, about the next big idea. She recently launched her own podcast. So if you're interested in hearing a middle school podcast, it's available on all major streaming services. Um, So there you go. Um, she is the one of the most tender-hearted children, caring kids I've ever met. Ella is the one at church. If there's a new kid at church, you put Ella with that kid because she's going to make sure they feel welcome. That, that, that is Ella. For the, her parents, like my wife and I, we're both introverted. And so she's the one that has never met a stranger, and she's the one that just wants to draw people out. So unwillingly, sometimes she draws us out with others. Our youngest, Ada, <laughs> my seven-year-old, is full of energy. Uh, she is the one that is always jumping on something, uh, whether it be a trampoline, a dog, whatever. She's always jumping on something, and she is the, the owner of a thousand different facial expressions. Like Ada always has us laughing and keeps us smiling. Our girls have been raised here at New City Church. They're being nurtured and cared for by an amazing body of believers. Like we, we love this church. We see Acts 2 lived out within these walls. They are being raised in a home where Emily and I try to point them to Jesus daily. And every night we pray over them that there would never be a day that they wouldn't know and love the name of Jesus. And with all of that being said, unless both of them hear the call of God personally, that the call of God enlivens their hearts wakes them up from a spiritual death sleep. Unless that happens, all my kids will ever be our nice, happy idolaters. You see, it doesn't matter how good your family is. It doesn't matter where you come from. Abram was from the best family. He was from the line of Seth. He was was a descendant of Noah. It doesn't matter where you come from unless the call of God comes into your life you'll be nothing more than an idolater that worships something or someone other than God. You may be nice. You you may be moral. You may even be religious. But unless you've embraced the call of God, you are not worshiping God. And just let me also say too, I'm not worried about when my kids are spiritually, so this is not me trying to be passive-aggressive towards them. You don't need to send them a, 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 like a, a link to this, this YouTube live stream. Like, you know, but anything that we've seen the progress with our children is because the God's call on their life, okay? But not only is the, God of, the call of God absolutely necessary for us individually, not only is it na- absolutely necessary, it's absolutely gracious. Abram is unqualified. Like I mentioned before, we must get rid of this assumption that Abram was this polished guy that is just waiting for the Christ. Instead, at this moment, he is a pagan who is seeking his own glory. The call of God is absolutely gracious because it qualified Abram. It's gracious because he was not qualified. Abram didn't deserve it. And if men, if men and women if this was happening in real time and men and women were hearing that Abram 
the guy from, from Ur of the Chaldeans who worshiped the lunar god Nana, that this is what our hopes were being pegged on, game over. Like, you know, that would be scandalous to think like, wait, that's the story we're telling? But I think the Lord wanted Israel to know that because of the power of his call, of his call, a moon-worshiping man from Ur was who they had to thank for receiving a call to follow him, to be faithful to him, and to establish a family that would walk with him. This is the power of God's call in our lives, that someone like Abram, a pagan moon-worshiper far from God, would be set apart by God. And the call of God is so powerful that your life is a dead end without it, regardless of how good you are. And it is so powerful that your life will be transformed regardless of how bad you are. That's the power of the call. Now let's, let's look at how it's supposed to shape us. And so we see this at the beginning of chapter 12 and through verse three. In the, in the short section, God actually says 10 distinct things. It's a mixture of commands and promises. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to highlight some of them uh, so you can see the call of God and how it shaped Abram and what it means for us, okay? So in Genesis 12, it starts off by saying this. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So how does the call of God shape us? First, it shapes us personally. Abram finally hears from God, and the first thing God tells him to do is to leave his home and leave his family. But why? If we look back at verse 11, 31, it says that Terah's family was called to Canaan. But where are they? They're not in Canaan. <laughs> They're in Haran. They didn't make it. They stopped. They stopped short. So what God is saying to Abram is, if I've called your family to Canaan, but they aren't willing to leave Haran, then you go alone. In other words, God's saying, Abram, my call on your life means you are a new person. And as John Calvin says it, to know God is to be changed by God. And so Abram, you have a new identity and you can't live this new identity while staying put in Haran. By staying put in Haran, you are making it known that your comfort outweighs my call. And the same <laughs> is true for us. See, it's, it's not enough to be just a part of the Christian ethos, the Christian community. It's not, that, it's not enough. Uh, and, and let's be honest, we live in the South, and Christian culture permeates everything that we do. And if we're being honest, our southernness is actually what shapes our faith instead of vice versa. The lines between traditions of faith, the lines between traditions and of faith are often, often blurred. Praying before meals, saying Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holidays, knowing who Billy Graham is. These things are not enough. It's not enough to be part of the environment. Have you met God yourself? Have you gotten out yourself? Has the call of God penetrated you as an individual? The call of God shapes us and it has to shape us personally. The call of God also, and this one is going to hurt, it shapes our will. And let me show you where I see it in the text. 
At the end of verse 12, one, it says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. That I will show you. Do you realize how miserable that is? I don't know if it's because I'm a type, I'm type A or Enneagram 3, but the thought about like not knowing where I'm supposed to go, like that's so frustrating. But God leaves Abram's destination open-ended. He tells them to leave, but he doesn't tell him where he's going to end up. And so in my early 20s, uh, I was a youth pastor a, a while back, Lord Jesus. Uh, I, but when I, in my early 20s, I was a youth pastor, and I would have so many times kids would come up to me and, and say, hey, Mike, um, I, I want to be a Christian, but I just want to know, if, if I become a Christian, do I have to stop dating this person? Am, am I going to be poor? Am I, am I going to have to start doing this or stop doing that? And what I did over and over again, and I thought I was doing, I was helping the situation, I would take them to Scripture and say, this is what the Bible says you can do, and this is what the Bible says you can't do. But I realized now, years later, how dangerous and wrong I was. Because if we respond to God by saying, I'll get out when you tell me where I'm going, why I'm going, and how everything will turn out, then we are not answering the call of God. We are staying on our own throne because we have to be in control. We need to know the answers. We are taking the place of God. And even as I prepped for this sermon, um, I went back and forth on whether or not I should ask the following question because my own answer was so difficult to come by. But here it goes. And I say this with all grace, gentleness, as much as I can muster. If you can't say to the Lord, whatever I discern you have for my life, I will do, are you even a Christian? Have you truly answered the call of God or are you still on your own throne? Can you look at your life and see the difference and see that answering God's call has changed your will? Are you any different since saying yes to Jesus? Are you any different? Because what I see in the text, it scares me to think that that isn't the case for me. Did anyone, um, <laughs> two, two questions. Well, did anybody during the, the pandemic, did anybody subscribe to Disney Plus? Any Disney Plus subscribers? Okay, I see some of your hands. I'll probably have more hands on this one. Does anybody else, is anybody borrowing someone else's Disney Plus login? <laughs> what I started to realize was, you know, I think a lot of us, I, I watched more movies than I, I normally did. Um, but there was a certain type of movie that I really connected with uh, that I think in some ways that we are all drawn to. And I, and I heard a pastor actually talk about it. It's the difference between an adventure, an adventure, and a quest. See, an adventure is there a, a there and back again experience. It's you leave for an adventure, but you have fun. But when you come back, you kind of pick up life where you left off. Like that's, that's, that's what an adventure is. And those, those stories are great, but you don't remember those stories, right? Those, those are the ones you watch once. 
But then we have quests. A quest is not something that you choose, okay? I think of like Lord of the Rings. Like it's not something they necessarily chose, but it comes to you. It's almost as if it's a requirement. And in a quest, you never really come back. You might come back, but you never really come back. You either die for the quest, or if you do come back, you are so changed that you are barely even recognizable. You're never the where you were. And the call of God changes your will and leaves you drastically different. I think Christianity, in some ways, it's a quest. You know, and I, I, listen, I, I know you can, it's a little bit trite, but the idea is, like, does the call of God, does being a Christian change who you are? Has it changed who you are when the person that you were and the person you are now, that there's, it doesn't even look like the same person. The call of God changes your will and leaves you drastically different. The call of God shapes us personally. The call of God shapes our will. The call of God also shapes us missionally. Verse two, it says this, and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. When we answer the call of God, our mindsets change from seeking comfort, security, ease, and self-satisfaction to asking ourselves, where can I most be a blessing? So our, how are we to be a blessing? And so I think it ties into verse one. You've got to get out. You must leave your own comfort zone. And so, so when you think about leaving comfort zone, my day job, um, I am the executive director of an organization that works with students on, on public school campuses throughout Atlanta. Um, and a lot of you may know that Patrick and Erica Choi, as well as Brian Pettigrew, who also go to this church, are, are on staff. We're on staff together, and they're the ones that makes this mission go. And when I think about being a blessing, I can't help but think of one of our, our volunteers named Fred. Uh, Fred he is a father uh, of four kids ranging from high school to out of college. Fred is in his 50s, and he'd be the first one to, to tell you, outside of his own kids, he is not wired or designed uh, to be the guy that connects with students. But almost a decade ago, Fred stepped out of his comfort zone and began leading one of our ministry sites. And because of the call of God shaping Fred missionally, countless number of students have experienced the love of Jesus. But I also think about people in this, in this church. Um, so we've been involved with this church. Oof. I'm looking at like Ryan or the, the deans will know. I'm like, Ryan, where are you? Um, we've been here for a while, not from the beginning, but pretty close to the beginning of this church. And, and I just think of how many people, whether it be through discipleship, uh, through missional communities, the, what they do on a Sunday before Sundays or whatever, Talk about living missionally. Um, one, of the def one of the things I think that defines this church in which we, we love it so much is the way that people just kind of grasp onto that. So for my people who've signed up for, for leading D group or leading an MC, I'm sure when you first signed up, uh, it wasn't this idea of like, yes, <laughs> this is gonna be easy. I can't wait to have people in my house every week. <laughs> like no one signed up for that. No one said yes, but at the same time, now, five or six years in, for those who've been here from then, and even now, my prayer is that y'all experience and like, would you want anything different than to be so invested in the people's lives? 
And I think that's the idea of, of living missionally, but it's not just within the walls of the church. It's not just, hey, I'm not, this is not just a, a, a ploy to get you to, to start working with children's ministry, but if you do, God, God bless you, and I want to take credit. But if not, listen, at the same time, what is God calling you to outside of the walls of the church, how to live missionally? Maybe it's, it's as simple as a conversation that you do not want to have with somebody that you love that he's calling you out of your comfort zone to have that conversation so that you can be a blessing to that person. Difficult conversation or not, are we, we holding back God's blessing to others because we're unwilling to be missional, missional in these things? The call of God the call of God affects us personally it affects us, it affects our will, and it affects us missionally. And I just, I think about that, something that, when you think about Abram's story, and just one thing that I think we can give credit for with Abram is that he continued to move forward and move outward and towards God. Like at the beginning, it was, Abram, um, leave your country. Where are you going? I'm like, Don't worry about it. I'll tell you later. That's the first thing. Let next, Abram, Abraham, you're going to have a son, but how? Don't worry, I'll tell you later. Lastly, Abraham, I want you to take that son of yours, climb up that mountain and sacrifice him. And Abraham says, why? And God says, trust me, just climb. Do we have that same mentality or are we still trying to sit on our own thrones? Let me wrap this up with saying this. Maybe you're like me, and even after studying this and prepping for this message, I wondered how in the world can I bring myself to surrender like this? <laughs> and here's the answer. You can't. Let's pray. All right. <laughs> you can't. And I might be jumping ahead a bit of the text, but I think it's important. God made Abram a series of promises, but all of them were hinged on one promise, a son. He was going to be a nation, but first he had to have an offspring. He was going to have a land filled with a nation of his people, but first he had to have a son. He was going to have a great name, but first he had to have a son. But remember, Sarah was barren. Abraham, Abram was old, which means the birth of that son would have to be an act of miraculous grace. Abram had to look towards God's promise of a son, a son that did not exist, but Abram had to look towards the promise of a son. And like Abram, we are unqualified for this task. And we too have to have faith in the son. Isaac, Abram's son, points us to Jesus. We have to look to Jesus. He got out. He heard the call. He was told to leave his father's house he left the, his father's house in ultimate security and he did it for us. Jesus did it because we couldn't, because we can't. He lost his father so that we can gain his father. And once we grasp that Jesus answered the ultimate call away from security so that we can experience the ultimate security of being adopted into God's eternal family, that through Christ we are loved by his Father, then you'll be able to live the same life that Abram has called you to, that God has called you to like Abram was called.
And if you say, I'll never be able to handle this call, then you're forgetting that Jesus already has. And what gives your life purpose is the call of God. Let's pray. Father, this is one of those times that it's, um, it's, uh, it's, it's okay to be, <laughs> to feel like we don't measure up um, because it is so apparent and it's such a gracious thing that we don't measure up, but Jesus did, Father. And so my prayer is wherever you have us right now, wherever just individually, um, whether we've received the call, heard the call, um, <laughs> or pushing away the call, Lord, that you continue to press in on us, Lord, and that we be forever changed um, in, by the call, by your call, Father. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.